Hi, Doug. Hi, Karen. Happy June. Happy June. We are on Hollywood Boulevard. We are feet Ooh. firmly planted on the accelerator and in 2021. I saw a new release, but I didn't see it in the theater. I bought it. Oh, oh, okay. So wait, now, what did you see? And it was streaming. Yeah, so I saw Cruella, which just okay. came out this weekend on Disney+, Plus, but premier access, which means even though we get Disney+, Plus, we still had to spend 30 bucks to, to watch this. It was $30? Yeah. It, it was, was originally, we were like, no way, we're not going to watch it. They're not going to get us. We already pay for so much. We already have Disney+, Plus. blah, 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 blah. But then we were like, well, it's a holiday weekend, and we kind of want to know what it is. Um, and so there's, you know, there's all the logic of it's still cheaper to pay 30 bucks to see it than it would be if the two of us bought tickets to see it in the theater. Really? True enough. How much yeah. is it in New York right now? I don't know, like 16, 17, 18 a piece. So this way we could sit and watch it at home. Because I mean, I feel like $30 is a really high ticket because I think what, uh, nobody was, um, 20? That was probably like twenty, right? Yeah, it was well, nineteen ninety yeah, nine, Disney... and I was like, okay, that's a fair, that's a fair price. But Disney Plus, which we pay for, well, I don't think we pay for it yet. I know, I think that we got like that free year. I'm not sure if we're on the paid plan. Our yet. year is up. We're paying for it, but so it's like six bucks a month, whatever it is. Um, but that but, just yeah, sort of is... like have to pay on top of that, like a thirty dollar. You know what I mean? Like I kind of feel yeah, like that. Yeah, we wouldn't a do it much. very often. In fact, I think we've watched a total of three things that we've paid a la carte for in quarantine. The Father with Anthony Hopkins was one of them. This was a splurge. And I think, I can't remember what else we, oh, oh, I am embarrassed to remember, to admit what we did. Very, very early into the pandemic. We oh, bought tell me. Cat. Mm -hmm. oh. The movie version of Cat. Why? Well, my beloved was interested and wanted to watch it. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. What's the harm? We're home. And again, yeah, we spent money we shouldn't have on it. Uh, but at least we didn't see it in the theater. You know what? It was the beginning of quarantine. I forgive that. Thank you. We were, we were all a little messed up in the head back then. And we... And, and technically, we own that one forever. Meow and forever. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, now and forever, you have that one. <laughs> so, so yeah, Cats, The Father, and Cruella. If you were okay. going to judge us, tell if you were going to try and figure us out, um, tell you about the movie. Did you like it? Yes and no. Oh, dear. Okay. I mean, as look, a villain, as a fun. villain. As a villain, I love Cruella DeVille. Sure, she's one of the great right. villains. This is a problem with the origin story. You don't need it. And then and then also, I, I kind of do enjoy, like, what they did with Mal Maleficent, how they're giving the villains their origin story. But um, they don't all need one. Oh. Well, here's the thing. The, so Maleficent worked, I think, to a large degree because... It showed that Maleficent wasn't truly a villain. She was misunderstood. Okay. Cruella does something that kind of just deflates the whole thing about the Cruella de Vil villain, who is just a villain. 
Like that's she's she's bad. She's deliciously bad. So this backstory basically finds a way to explain a childhood for her in which she is scrappy but not murderous, and it never ultimately gets us to the point where she would grow up to be the character that is Cruella Deville in 101 Dalmatians who wants to kill these dogs. It okay. just gets us to a point where where we know an origin story about her. But this it doesn't re- actually fill in blanks. This reminds me of something, and I wish I remembered where it, like, I read it, like, over the weekend or maybe the weekend before. I can't even remember when I read it. But it was absolutely fascinating, and it was about kit psychotic children. And so the idea behind it, and I think this is going to tie in really well with something else we're going to be talking about later in Hollywood Boulevard. Um, but it was basically we're about... On Hollywood Boulevard. You don't have to tease it. We got them. They're here. You listeners, stay. <laughs> no, no, no. We're I mean, so, I mean later... Later oh, down the road, yeah. Later, later on the in the episode. So, um, it was basically about how to sort of spot a serial killer when they're children, and so, but it's not necessarily about well, they abuse the family pets or they kill small animals or whatever it is. I mean, like that's part of it, but the idea that um, serial killers are like made and not born is actually not necessarily completely true and that there is actual psychosis in these kids and and they can be rehabilitated but they have to they're they're like sent to these special um hospitals where they actually have these rehabilitation programs for these kids and what what happens is these kids as they become adults they still have this murderous rage, like they still have the impulse to do these terrible things, but but because of the these programs that they've gone through, they for they people. they can kind of control that yeah. urge. Yeah. It was absolutely fascinating. And so listening to this whole Cruella thing, it kind of sounds like she would have been a candidate for that one of those programs. I mean, maybe, but the thing is, she's not psychotic in this version. So you know. Emma Stone, who the character is born already with the two-tone hair, the white-black hair. It's not like there's an explanation for that. She loses her mother at a young age and basically becomes like Oliver slash the Artful Dodger. Okay. You know, like running around London, fending for herself, stealing. She turns out to have this, this gift for fashion design, which gets her uh, ultimately a job at the fashion house run by... Emma Thompson, who is very imperious. It's the kind of role Emma Thompson is playing a lot now. This, like, very over-the-top, haughty kind of villain. And so so we are rooting the whole time for Emma Stone because Emma Thompson is doing some things that aren't nice, that are bad. Um, And the, I think, purest highlight of the film is in all of the fashion sequences, the the CGI of all of these dress designs that uh, Emma Stone wears, um, and sometimes Emma Thompson does, um, is is by far. I mean, it's like jaw dropping, beautiful, fun to watch. That's definitely the highlight. But the idea, the I mean, what it almost boldly so. It just kind of copies the Batman Returns storyline from Mm -hmm. Selina Kyle becoming Catwoman. Um, 
because she's really like just trying to get back at a specific target who is Emma Thompson. It really has nothing to do with like being so awful that you would kill dogs. Um, so you're just rooting for this young kind of rapscallion that Emma Stone plays to win over, get it, you know, like win against Emma Thompson. Um, but once you get to the end of that story, we really haven't had a full transformation to her as a villain. She's actually just someone who's, you know, living under a, a persona and has proved to be feisty against any foe. Okay. Makes for its own fun narrative, if you will, but it doesn't get us to where we need to be for the Cruella de Vil we know. Um, come 101 Dalmatians, either the cartoon or the Glenn Close live-action versions. Um, and it's like, you know, you could keep peeling back and do origin story before origin story. You could have the Emma Thompson character go back 30 years when she was a kid and find out she had a trauma, and that made her her, and then you could find the perpetrator there and say what made them tick, you know, that sort of thing. Like, not every character needs to have an origin story. The idea right. of it is fairly now overused and derivative, but you put you pump a lot of money into it, put a lot of special effects into it, um, and suddenly you have a big studio tentpole picture. But um, I mean, for this, the effects, the coloring, and the and the dress designs are definitely the highlight. As are you know the music cues because we go from late '60s to '70s, so it's a lot of like British invasion stuff um, and punk music. Okay, um, that's fun. And a lot of like a lot of obvious choices. It's a, it is a fun soundtrack, but they're typically songs that you've already heard used a lot in in other uh, cases. So. Was the thirty dollars well spent? I mean, we had fun. Okay. We 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 had fun. It's not great. Okay, but it was still fun. Still fun. And okay. if you can wait like two or three months, you can probably see it for free on Disney Plus. Oh yeah, I will absolutely be waiting. It, I'm not spending thirty dollars for this shit. No, thank you. And I and and yeah, I just I don't think it's gonna take forever for it to be free. As much. I am still underemployed, so. Yeah. Yeah, we are still. Yeah, we'll be paying our way out of pandemic debt for a while. Um, and now a while longer because we bought Cruella. Um, so yeah, so so there's there's that. Um, do you have anything that you've seen? Because I have some, I have like other dark things I can talk about. But if you have any light to shed, uh, it would be welcome. Well, I know that you have Mare of Easttown on your list, which I definitely is one that I wanted to see. But that's on HBO, right? Correct. Um, and then and then you have the sister. I know nothing about that. But Sons of Sam, which was also on your list, I saw the first episode of that. I did not go back oh, to did. it. You yeah. did. So, well, for Mayor of Easttown, we could – let me just talk about it quickly. Because yeah, yeah, because I'm curious if we you – We could put a pin in it if you like revisit it. I'm um, still thinking about, you know, getting the getting HBO Max, which I have not done yet. And I, and this could this could turn me, depending on what you say. Oh, it's definitely worth seeing. Okay. And what? Well, I don't agree with every storytelling choice that was made. Um, I mean, it it stuck the landing, and uh, highly recommend it. And the cast is terrific. Um, like I said, it's a lot of East Coast theater talent among the cast, so it's nice to see a lot of them get these get these nice roles. Um, uh, yeah, I it, it is. 
a mystery. I, I don't necessarily agree with um, every single choice. And, and the thing is, I would not be shocked if this was initially conceived as a series, not a miniseries, just because the scope of the canvas and all the characters therein, um, there's so many. I don't even think that there's supposed to be all these red herrings. I just think there are characters that were introduced um, that in the space of seven episodes, there wasn't a lot to do, but I think they might have been envisioned to be for this town to have a longer life oh. than it was in a miniseries. I do think it's done. I do think like the story kind of served its its purpose. Uh, but no, very satisfied by it. Um, uh, really, really well told. And and the ensemble was really good. And, and I think it's the best thing I've seen Kate Winslet do in a long time. Um, oh. Plus, Jean plus Smart is her mom. So we were talking about her with the show Hacks before. Uh, you know, if you ever do uh, go back to HBO or do an HBO Max trial or whatever, um, you can get your double shot of Jean Smart at that point. Oh, um, so yeah, I won't say too much more other than I recommend it to any listener who hasn't seen it yet. I definitely think it's been a highlight of the season. Uh, and it and it makes for a lot of whatever the new water cooler conversation is, makes for a lot of of good uh, chat as is, as our current entertainment sphere goes. Is there is is there water coolers now? I mean, I want to say that it's just social media. I don't know what else happens. Oh my god, duh! I did see the sister too. We can talk about that. Well, I saw one episode. So it made it made an impression. Okay, great. So. No need to talk about Mare of Easttown anymore because I don't want to get even close to spoiling anything. Oh, thank it's you. Worth, it's worth watching. And I don't want and I don't want to encourage anyone listening to watch it. Uh, let's go to Sons of Sam because okay. you watched that and stopped after an episode and I saw all four. Um, literally, like, I watched it all this morning because I couldn't sleep. I got up super early. I had some work stuff that I was anxious about and was told that the cable people were coming to our apartment today and that we might lose cable this morning. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do if I lose my connection, blah, blah, blah. So I basically like couldn't go back to sleep. And so I watched a lot of Sons of Sam. That's what I did this morning. But you watched it in episode one. So so share your experience. Oh. <laughs> Wait. You didn't watch it. I think I might be... The Sons of Sam that I watched maybe it was called something else <laughs> what oh boy i'm confused now because okay oh it is a documentary series it is a yeah, documentary is it, okay is it what you i don't know it's listing it's also listing like paul giamatti and i'm like wait so what? that's something that's something i am going to get to okay explain that to me because now i'm completely confused because i saw one okay, so I saw one episode, and it was basically kind of the introduction to, I guess, what this documentary series is going to be, and it was about how there was more than one son of Sam. Like, they, like, the, like, these murders were not just committed by um, what's his face, and that this was actually like a like a satanic Charles Mansony cult thing. But I yeah. never got past the first episode because I don't, which I don't really know why, because I didn't not like it, but I guess I didn't feel like it was compelling enough for me to so keep going. So I think we did see the same thing. Yes, so it is the story of 
the son of Sam murders in New York in the 70s, and David Berkowitz was arrested. And they basically sum up everything that happened and how, you know, he made New York City under siege and for about a year and and then was apprehended. And, and then this one investigator really got, like, obsessed with the case and started peeling back more of the story and was sure that it was all the things that you mentioned, that David Berkowitz was actually kind of a patsy, that he's part of a larger satanic cult that also included two brothers, which were neighbors, who were actually the sons of Sam, because the the father was named Sam. They like, literally Sam. <laughs> like, literally. And yeah, it goes back to a satanic cult from London, and that's also what kind of got Charles Manson involved in his whole helter-skelter thing, and that, you know, like, there were all of these ritual sacrifices going on, um, very eerie stuff that, that makes it sound like there was a larger conspiracy and and that it went way beyond David Berkowitz, the only one who was ever arrested. Um, and how, you know, he is, uh, um, so the ultimate author of this book who just spent his whole life following leads and even interviewed David Berkowitz on the air, his name was Maury Terry. And so it's partly telling everyone more about the Son of Sam stuff and this satanic cult. I think it was called the Precious Church. Um, but it's also sort of about the life and obsession of Maury Terry. Here's the thing. Maury Terry died like eight, nine, ten years ago. So they spend the bulk of these four episodes having Maury Terry narrate his own investigation. So that's Paul Giamatti playing Maury Terry, the voice of Maury Terry. It's all told in the first person. Did not, but it, did not friggin' put that together at all. Didn't even but, recognize the voice. Didn't who, even, it's so it's such an odd thing to do because they're really yeah. telling two different stories at once, and it's like, and then there's a little bit only told in the third person because it's all the talking heads, his friends, his colleagues, his ex-wife, that sort of stuff, right. talking and reminiscing about him and and the book and his obsession, the compulsion of, to find more and how he was harassing New York cops to reopen their case, blah, 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 blah. Yes. So it's it's Paul Giamatti narrating as though he's this guy, Maury Terry. And it's weird. It doesn't work. That, okay, okay. Because, I mean, what you're saying, I'm like, oh, maybe I should keep watching this. That sounds rather fascinating. But I just remember watching, like, watching that first episode and being like, we know all this. This is really dull. Like, I was really bored. Like, and I'm like, I, I shouldn't get bored at serial killer stuff. Like, the, like, I love all this true crime shit. And I'm just, I'm bored. And, and I was like, you know, what yeah. they did on that first episode could have been like a 15 minute, you know, recap. Yeah, I, you I, know, mean, because... I see that with a lot of, especially these like four part Netflix docuseries. I'm like, you know what, you could have done this in one hour. Or you could have done this in two. And, and they still could have done that with this. Yeah, but you're so right. Well you watch known, the beginning. You know? And it's like, I actually thought it was going to be something very different. I thought it was going to be about like a series of underground copycat killers or something like sons of Sam, meaning like a new generation of people who maybe were doing. And I thought, well, this would be new to me. Um, But it, but it wasn't that. And it, this is, if you know anything kind of about true crime, then none of this is really new information. It's also really manipulative. They have a lot of 
you know, like psychedelic guitars going on, yeah. like really trying to create that whole scene. And, the atmosphere. And, and, you know, possessive imagery, that sort of stuff. So, um, do you, okay, so here's a question for you, because I kind of feel like there have been a couple of true crime things where we've been kind of really deflated by them. And I'm wondering, do you think we've jumped the shark with true crime? Yeah, I mean, I think we probably did that a long time ago. Okay, because I'm thinking, like, what was the... Oh, God, I can't think of the Netflix one well, now. Well, there that was that Cecil Hotel. Oh, that was... Yeah, that that was so... Mani- that was manipulative, too. Like, I really feel like it was, like, that was leading us down this path that, that actually was, like, there was no there there with that one. Um, yeah, I mean, these are, like, glossy snuff films, in a sense. You know, they're packaged yeah. as documentaries, but they're really they're really serving a very purient interest without giving you yeah. new information. Yeah, because I know with Cecil Hotel, I really felt like, oh, you know, ultimately this really is about um, this really is like the indictment of like those online mobs, mm-hmm. right? Like that that's like yeah. that's my, yeah. that was my takeaway, and not like there was anything new to this or like the Cecil Hotel was haunted or like whatever it was. My takeaway was just like, oh yeah, online mobs aren't they terrible? You know, yeah. and that. And and the thing is, with each of these, there is an opportunity to delve into, like, a very, uh, not universal, but common human psychological component. You know, like, the people who get obsessed with finding out more about these crimes, as opposed to the crimes themselves, and what it may do to them, or do to people as a collective. Because Um, there there is no real new information on these older crimes, necessarily. Like, like this information is out there. Yeah, even like, if you even if you or I or someone doesn't know it, like it is out there. It is easily accessible. Right. This this new piece of work isn't con- contributing anything new there. Like the okay, the Netflix documentary that sort of launched it all from a number of years ago and I can't think of the name of it now. You'll you'll get that cuz I'm old. Um you know the one where the guy kept getting like pinched for murder like he kept getting set up for murder and like the cops were like setting him up and he got free and they ensued the police force and then they found another body on his land and he goes back to jail and now that they're still working on exonerating him is that making a murderer yeah making a murderer that one yeah like that one was pretty fascinating because it was a case that i mean i guess locally people knew about it but nationally it wasn't known um it was on yeah and there was a lot of like you know there's still stuff going on with that so yeah there was a lot to say also about the procedural elements of law and order and where they were stymied yes yeah definitely yeah yeah, but this is sort of like, oh, Son of Sam, again. Like, okay. Um, didn't Spike Lee do a movie about that that was really good? <laughs> yeah. Watch yeah, that and also, dead, right, you know? Hasn't Netflix done, they did both a feature and a documentary about Ted Bundy within months of each other? Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The Ted Bundy doc was not terrible. It was pretty I good. Didn't see, I, ha- I didn't see either of those. Yeah, I saw the uh, Ted Bundy doc. I didn't see the... Um, I didn't see the movie, but I did see the doc, and that was pretty good. Because even Ted Bundy, even though you like know what he did, I kind of feel like he didn't get he he didn't get as much. I I don't know. I, I want to like I don't know. There's not much. I don't know as much about what he did as I do like Son of Sam. I'm like, oh yeah, Son of Sam. Yeah, Son of Sam was a real kind of go-to when people yeah. <laughs> like exactly. maybe it's because of where we grew up like maybe if we grew up close like closer to where bundy was like we would know that better than son of sam uh maybe i don't know i feel like i kind of knew 
equal amounts. Like also Jeffrey Dahmer. I didn't grow up near that area. I feel like I still knew a good amount. The thing about Ted Bundy is there's as much to know about like beyond the crimes as about like how the criminal justice system failed, how because he was so good looking, he actually became a like a, a you know a, a media star on his yeah, own. Like happening. there is there is stuff to unpack there. Yeah. Um, there's if you know nothing about um, the Son of Sam murders, if you know nothing about New York at the time, if you know nothing about the larger cult that he was involved in, allegedly, I mean, it's not unworth your time. It's just right. not new information. And but basically, you know, the takeaway is everything this investigator Maury Tierney unearthed and wrote about, people are like, well, could this be true? Could there have been multiple murderers out there all sort of working together yeah it's possible but kind of met with a shrug and everyone moves on like david um, berkowitz wasn't not guilty so no one no one really feels like you know like the wrong guy was apprehended and the murders kept happening um you know it's packaged in a way that's eerie if you want some sort of cheap thrill but okay. that's kind of all it is I might go back. I might go back and, and watch it a little bit more because I did not. I know nothing about this British cult that's tied to Manson and stuff. So that that might be kind of interesting for me to watch. But like I said, from the first from the first episode, I was like, I don't need to watch. Like, how much more can we? T- what else can we talk about here? Yeah, I mean, I diminishing returns, and yet, <laughs> if you like true crime, I mean, I wouldn't say no. Okay. And. So you said you also watched one episode of this show, The Sister, which is on Hulu. Yes. And that's the one where, uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember how much I can actually say premise-wise that is spoiler-free, but there's a a successful, like, 30-something man um, who is married to a woman whose sister was... um, went missing several years earlier yes and this and this guy her husband probably know we learn knows more um about what happened to the sister of the title yes okay so you saw an episode and you stopped watching was it because you didn't like it or like life just kept happening and you forgot I mean, it was kind of a little bit of both. Like, I didn't like it. En- like, I was like, eh, maybe I'll watch it again. But life kept happening, and I didn't like it enough to keep to go back to it. Like, I keep seeing it in my continue watching queue, and I'm like, yeah, not today. Yeah, not today. Yeah, not today. Like, that's sort of like, I'm just like, yeah, not today. I would I say, really yeah, know- never. Okay, okay. So, it's I'm really like, okay. actually quite dumb. Okay, good. Because there was just, like, a whole lot of stuff going on here that I was, like, I didn't quite understand. And it didn't pull me in enough to want to continue to understand. Yeah. I'm, uh, so here's the thing. And this is what we also see a lot of. Um, Alyssa and I, and we talk about, uh, we talked about it kind of with Woman in the Window. There's a difference between genre plotting a thriller, a mystery, suspense, horror, whatever, where you actually, you know, like introduce your plot and build from it and plant seeds. And and 
potentially offer misdirects as opposed to like it's there's a whodunit and then there's a here's what happened which is basically we're gonna chop up our storyline it won't necessarily be linear it won't necessarily be reliable um until we get to the end and then we'll just diagram for you exactly what happened by the time you like catch up to us in the first place and this is a prime example of that basically there's not much to the story it's stuff that had already happened in the past it's just a matter of time until you know the storyteller parcels it all out for you who is this guy what does he know why does he know it? why was he there who else may have been there and and someone has to find out as an audience surrogate and then you basically just told us instead of shown us developed it along the way for us if that makes sense because basically it's like we just have to keep flashing back to an episode that happened earlier and it's like and by the time you're done with four episodes we will have circled back and and told you what really happened but there's not an actual story here there's not a plot to develop it's just waiting for you to be fed all of the birdseed right so i think it's done Honestly, I thought Russell Tovey was a good actor. He's kind of awful in this. Yeah, I actually, so Russell Tovey and Bertie Carville are both two fairly well-known British actors. Uh, and I think they're both slumming here. Yeah, like I just was like. Russell Tovey is actually, I think, kind of terrible in this. Yeah, like he just kind of has like this dead stare that, and you know, right. and and he's just not. And, and I'm just kind of like, okay, do something apart from the dead stare. You know, I just, I just was like, not there. Yeah. I mean, I never got a way in. I never saw when the wheels in his head would turn what they were doing or what it was supposed to signify. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, yeah. And I just found him really difficult to, to watch in this. It was like painful. Like I was like having like this reaction and I was like, ugh. So um, I'm glad I don't have to continue that. No, because I felt no, bad really for not liking it. Yeah, we were disappointed because we had been looking forward to it for a bit. We liked the cast. It seemed like it might be kind of spooky and interesting. Um, yeah, like I was kind of tell like from some of the things I talk about. Would this eyes. be like Broadchurch? You know, which like had that mystery element to it, which I I loved Broadchurch. Like, and and I was kind of like, oh, maybe it's gonna be a bit like that. And then I was like, no, not at all, like Broadchurch. Yeah, I thought you know there were other shows I've liked, like um, The Stranger, The The Sinner, um, and I mean, you know, from a mood standpoint, it approaches that, but there's just not much there. Okay. I'm glad you told me that so I don't have to continue. Don't feel guilty. If you see it pop up on your continue watching list, uh, discontinue. Okay, thank you. Thanks for doing the hard work for me. You have my permission. Yes, that's me doing the work for you. (laughs) Doing the work for me. I appreciate that. Anytime. So, I mean, uh, I've sound downcast on what I've watched, but I have to say Mayor of Easttown is definitely a find this season so um not not a week badly spent all right so it might be time to fire up the old hbo max uh again yeah i'm just trying to think beyond that and hacks if there are other things they have 
Well, so. I, I want I mean, they have that Criterion collection. The, I think it's the Oh, Criterion. right. You, or, no, it's the TMC. TCM. TCM. TCM, the Turner Classic Movies. Has yeah. Overlap, but you can watch a lot of good classics on Yeah, on, yeah. On and and Sid is now, like, really interested in seeing the classic movies. Oh, I introduced her to my man Godfrey. The other week. Oh, that's oh, you know, one of our all-time favorites. One of my all-time favorites. We were just talking about it yesterday because we're weird. But um, yeah. And did she like it? Oh my God, she loved Your it. Your teenage daughter is, as I've said before, a genius because I don't think I don't think just anyone of her generation would cotton to it. But I think that yeah, is screwball loved. at its best. Yeah, she loved it. And she like, you know, I, I took a film class in college and that was one of the movies that oh, did you? she watched. Yeah, but I had watched it when I was like Sid's age. Um, I, I was watching, at her age, I was watching a lot of old movies and that was and that was one of them. And um, and then we had, I had, it was one of the movies that we watched in film class and that's when I learned a lot of that work, a lot of those lines and everything was completely like, it was all ad-libbed. Ad-libbed. It was like, there, yeah. there was a very loose script because um, that was the way that the director worked um, is he didn't, like he wanted the actors to sort of like come up with their own stuff and so so much of that was completely improvised and it was just you know just such a delight that they did that they could do that and and do it so well and you know it um, yeah and how yeah yeah i mean uh, william powell and carol lombard are two of my very all-time favorite uh performers um so yeah love it love 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 that movie yeah yeah so i'm just trying to find like more classic movies yeah uh, i mean so we watch a lot of tcm anyway as you know but i think you can actually yeah i think you'd luck out on hbo max yeah because they're they're hard to find like they're really hard to like like i was lucky we found my my man godfrey i think that was on amazon but then there was like there wasn't much else on there you know and there's so much so like i want her to see like oh all the rock hudson and doris day movies yeah yeah gentlemen prefer blondes which is like a classic as far as i'm concerned and you know anything with betty davis uh you know oh god um was the betty davis joan uh oh uh, baby jane uh, baby jane whatever happened to baby jane like all of those you know i don't know where i'm gonna find them but uh, damn it i want to find them yeah well i think between amazon and hbo max you could find a good amount and we've rewatched some of those we watched all of the Betty Davis catalog, I think, during quarantine. Uh, we rewatched Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Um, Do and... you have those? Because this is the thing. These are all things that I used to have on VHS. And then VHS went the way of the dodo. Uh, I have all about Eve on DVD. I don't have m- many of these on VHS. All right. So these are all uh, you've been able to find on streaming platforms? Or TCM itself. Or TCM itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Another one we've well I we watched almost all the Barbara Stanwyck movies, um, who is by now I think Alyssa's favorite. Uh, I would like to think there's some of those on TCM. Also a lot of Jack Lemmon movies. So those would be like oh, our those. first search uh, parameters. Do you have like TCM like on demand or or are you just catching these movies when they're on? Um, there is a TCM app. There is an app, and you have so that. movies. They have a very short life, and it could be because they're also on HBO Max. But if a movie airs on TCM on the network, you can probably catch it for a week, uh, either on demand or on the app. But some of them stay for a full month. Okay. But you do kind of have to hunt them down and catch them quick. 
Okay. All right. I'm just sort of wondering if maybe I should splurge for the TCM app or if I should go with HBO Max. Mm, I don't know. I'd say HBO Max first. Okay. All right. Oh, God, also, so the hard. other thing is TCM has a really crappy website with a really bad user experience. And oh. searching for stuff also tricky. So oh. it's like if you can't even be sure you'll find the stuff, it's maybe not worth paying for. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so I'll go with HBO Max. Then. Hey, look, and, you know, Secession is coming back any minute now, right? Sometime in the fall, I think. So, yeah. God, I hope so. Because I'm, like, jonesing for that. It's been too long. I know, Thanks, we COVID. Every, we talk about that every day. <laughs> so, yeah, so she, um, so, so, so that's, like, kind of fun because she's been kind of getting into. It's awesome if she's receptive to these. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah, she really is. So it's really, it's really great. Oh, you know what I did see this week that I did want to forget that I forgot. It's like, I always forget what I watch. And then I'm like, I didn't see anything. Julie and Julia. What was this the first time for you? Very first time for me. Aww. It was a and delight. Did you like it? I yeah, did. It is, it is. I did. I thought it was so delightful. I mean, it was Nora Ephron. And it was, uh, you know, Julia Child, who I adore. Um, but I have to, the one complaint I had was, oh, my God, Meryl Streep has become, like, what is it with these, like, actors getting older, like, I feel like she's going the way of like De Niro and Pacino where she's just like chewing the scenery. Yeah. I think that started with Devil Wears Prada and then Mamma Mia. Because I, because the thing is, I mean, like I have, I have loved and appreciated her my entire life, but the movies that are my reference points for her are not the reference points for anyone else that, you know, kind of loves her now because they know her from, Okay, the adaptation, The Devil Wears Prada, Mamma Mia, Julie and Julia, and maybe a couple other recent things. But, I mean, no one's talking about Silkwood or Adam right. Africa or Bridges of Madison County, Postcards right. from the Edge. They may know of Sophie's Choice, but they probably don't know Sophie's Choice. It's like, so, it's yeah. like, it's like a completely different actor from those yeah. movies to these. And I just felt like I get, like... Julia was like this big personality and she had that weird accent and she, you know, that weird mid-Atlantic thing or, you know, whatever her accent is. And, and she, and she was hilarious with her, you know, she was actually very funny when you watch the cooking shows now, she's like a fucking hoot, but like, I don't know. I just felt like it was too much. She was too much. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just too, too big, particularly with the way that everybody else was performing around her. Yeah, and I think that's a case of her still being more reined in than in some of her other recent things. Like, I mean, it's complicated with Alec Baldwin, perhaps is a good example. Florence Foster Jenkins, maybe. I don't know. I still very much lean on the side of wanting to defend her because she still operates at such a higher level. Uh -huh. But she's gone broad like De Niro did, sort of like Pacino did. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're unique cases um but I yeah and I think the thing with Meryl is in the last 15 years she's like always pursued the A-list material with uh -huh. whether she's been I don't want to say whether she's been right for it 
but she hasn't been pursuing character parts. And those are the ones that she made her career off of. Like something like A Cry in the Dark. I kind of feel like she was great as, like, she would have made, she was a good choice for Julia Child. I just think she hammed it up too much. But I think part of that is what Nora Ephron was asking her to do. (sighs) I guess. Um... I just, I had just wanted it sort of taken down a little bit, like not so hammy, um, and then it would have been perfect. But like, it was to the point where I was like, yo, Meryl, you're grading on me right now. Like grading. Yeah, you might think that if you saw some of her other recent stuff too. See, I haven't really watched it. Like I have never seen Devil Wears Prada. I actually have not seen her recent stuff. It's it's worth it. And she's not, I think, too over the top in Devil Wears Prada. I think that's actually a really good film. It's actually one I'll be talking about later this summer uh, upon the film's 15th anniversary. Okay. Uh, but I think you can say that about, I mean, you can even say that about The Iron Lady, the, the one that she got her most recent Oscar for, the Margaret Thatcher one. Um, I won't say that about August Osage County, but I would say that about a bunch of her other ones. Okay. <laughs> and yet I still protect I still defend I know I because know. I mean it gets so much worse it was also really interesting to watch Amy Adams in this after having watched her in Woman in the Window which I hated oh interesting um you know everyone hates the Julie Powell everyone hates the Julie Powell stuff really when, when they watch this movie yeah I didn't mind it. And I think it's unfair. Yeah. I didn't mind it at all. And I really liked her. And Chris Messina was kind of a revelation, too. I mean, he's a stand-up comic, right? No, he's an actor. He's, he's like an a, actor? He came up through New York actor. Really, but but really good. Yeah, yeah. he was no, really I good. No, I liked their scenes. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. Very, I actually really liked it. And I thought she really captured this sort of, like, you know, the angst of sort of like the New York writer of like the underemployed kind of New York writer who's doing this job she doesn't want to do. And like, you know, and I don't know, I thought, I thought that was like a really great capture. And um, no, I thought she, I love, I actually loved those um, moments of being pulled out of, you know, Julia Child's world and seeing the modern world and seeing how this woman was relating to her. And I, and I think that that's partially because, you know, as a generation, I think her generation in particular too, was even like, like I remember watching Julia Child when I was a kid because my mom would watch it on PBS. Um, and obviously Julia shot for, you know, it was on WGBH when, in Boston and that was our member station, mm-hmm. you know, so there was like a connection, a very local connection with her anyway. But I just remember like every night, like Julia would be on and my mom would watch it and trying to figure out those recipes. And at the time I just thought it was like, oh my God, French cooking, what the hell is this? Right. And then, yeah. I, but as yeah, I grew older, I came to sort of appreciate like what she was doing and sort of like rewatching those, you know, some of those old episodes and Jacques and Julia with Jacques Pepin, which is a mm-hmm, Pepin, mm-hmm. or I don't know how you say it. Pepin, um, yeah. Pepin um, which is an absolute revelation. I got some really great cooking tips from that show too. <laughs> like I, like there, it was just, and now I have actually have the um, volume of cookbooks that Thank they you. talked about in that movie, their first volume of cookbooks that she wrote with those two other um, women whose names escape me. I actually have, I have the, that that particular volume. Um, 
so I don't know, like I felt like a real affinity towards a modern woman sort of like reaching back and looking through these, you know, and, and doing the recipes. Um, and I also, again, like because it was so long ago, it was like kind of a really neat timestamp of a time where you could have a blog and it would take right. off. And, give you a career, yeah. and you would get a career from it because that just doesn't exist anymore. And nope. so like that was kind of cool also to sort of like look back in that, at that and go, yeah, I remember when that was a thing. I remember when people did these blogs that would just suddenly take off and all of a sudden they had book deals and, you know, and, and, and with like a lot of, and it wasn't even just like, oh, look, I got a book deal. It was like a big book deal. Where yeah, it was get, like, like life-changing. Life-changing, huge advance, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, so I, 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 I really liked it, you know, and I, and again, I, yeah, I, I liked it yeah. Too. and I think like Nora Ephron is really good at that, at like tapping into like that one particular moment in time, like kind of like with You Got Mail was the AOL, yes. you yes. know, thing. And now we've got, you know, and Harriet Met Sally had that sort of like, okay, like late eighties, early nineties, New York vibe to it. Like, I just think she's really, really great at tapping into like those particular moments in time um and 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 you would think that it feels stale um or you know but I could watch you got mail over and over and over again and it never gets yeah I mean I think that's always been a hallmark for her is how she made things really universal yeah you know like sleepless in Seattle she balanced out a very sort of specific uh thing with their you know like her pursuing him and she heard him on the radio with like all those old-timey 40s and 50 songs that kind yeah. of balance out each of the chapters it was a very clever thing that she did you know the way that she sort of harnesses the old and the new yeah yeah and so, you definitely have that in something like you've got mail yeah 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 so i i just really yeah i really appreciate how she is also able to capture that sort of like just these like little moments in time, the blog thing, the the AOL you got mail thing, just you know, and and like I said, it doesn't, but it doesn't sort of like, it doesn't feel old. I mean, we we re did I tell you we I rewatched Reality Bites a couple weeks ago? Oh no! Oh, I love that movie. I know because my cousin was in town and she and and we were talking. I don't know how we ended up talking about it, and she had never seen it, and I was like. So, um, so I was like, okay, we have to watch it. So we watched it again and that was great to revisit, but it felt. Does it feel very of its time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It felt, well, you know, it was really funny because it, first of all, it did feel very of its time. And there was just like, I was, cause that whole, the whole shtick with her, with the gas card and the convenience store, like you don't understand, like. I had a gas card and I did exactly that. <laughs> because like, I didn't my... understand that until I was a couple years older and driving and buying food for myself more frequently. <laughs> I mean, because I remember like, I was like really annoyed. Like, you know, all my friends had like the credit cards or whatever when they went to college, you know? And so I never got that. And so uh, finally, like my the year when I went to college and I had my car on campus, I was like, how am I going to pay for gas? And like, you know, the thing was we had a gas station near our house where my dad had an account. And so my sister went to college locally. And so she would just 
drive down from school and go to this gas station and fill up her car, right? And I was like, okay, that's not fair because, and I was like, if you are really going to do this every time I need gas, I'm going to drive from college. And my college was an hour and a half away. So I was like, I'm going to drive from school to fill up with gas. And so my dad was like, fine. And so he got me a Texaco card. And so I was like, okay, what do I do? And then like, I find out like five miles away from school, because there was like a Texaco station on the corner of like the turn going out to campus. And it was just a Texaco station. But then like on the other side of campus, five miles out of town, there was a Texaco station with a fucking convenience store. It was <laughs> great. It was great. I would get Diet Cokes. I would get cigarettes. I would get snacks. It was fucking awesome. It was so <laughs> awesome. Um, so that I really appreciated. But yeah, it did, you know, it did. But then it also kind of felt like, oh, God, that angst that I feel like we kind of went through with the millennials and everyone was roll, like everyone was like everyone sort of like treated it like it was a thing that never happened before. No, right. we we no, have that I mean, too. Yeah, I'm like, no, just, no, no, we have that too. They just manifested themselves differently. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, and I think it was just a bigger thing because they were a bigger generation. But but when I was looking back at, at this, I was like, yeah, this could have been millennials. This could have been, this could have been millennials, not just Gen X could have been millennials. Yeah, I think it's very true. Yeah. But so it was it was super fun, but it it did have that kind of dated um feeling to it. But you know what else it does have? Winona Ryder. Well, it does have the Queen Winona Ryder, and it also has a good soundtrack. It's got a great soundtrack. Um a- and you know what else it has? A line of dialogue that I will leave you with, which is Melrose Place is a really good show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So talking, talk about hitting us where we live. Yeah, in fact, uh, Sid and Anth- uh, Sid and Anthony cheered when that came. <laughs> when we were that. watching it. <laughs> I know, it's not great. <laughs> All right, awesome. I'm going to bed. All right. Well, it's been fun visiting things past and present with you, uh, everyone. Hope you're having a good June. And uh, if there's anything you are watching that you want us to talk about, um, do please let us know. Anything you want to weigh in on? Mayor of Easttown, Cruella, The Sister, Julie and Julia, or uh, Sons of Sam. Also feel free to hit us up um, back on the block pod on Facebook. And uh, having said that, I bid you adieu. We're leaving the boulevard. We'll be back next week. Take care till then. Bye.